May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> Look at how our text starts. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia and Trachonitis, Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, this is history. This is real life. This is the real world. And at this time, in this real world, these names represented people that were a really big deal, right? Tiberius Caesar ruling the entire Roman Empire. Pontius Pilate governing all of Judea, Herod, Galilee. I mean, they called him a king. Lysanias had his his area of power, and, and Philip had his, and then the, the religious leaders, right, the high priests. I mean, there's only one ruling at the time, but, but the other one was so respected because of how he had ruled that he was still considered that, that powerful guy. To people living in Georgia for the last two weeks, I don't have to explain to you how much attention and import people give to who is ruling. Right? You just got to go to your mailbox and pick up the stack of political ads or pick up your phone and see all the texts, you know, who should be ruling you. Or just turn on the TV and it's ad after ad telling you how important who is ruling is. And yet for all these people, with all their importance, whether it's senator or governor or emperor, there is something much bigger. Look at how verse 2 continues. While all these people were in power, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The word of God came. The message from the one who's really in power. The word of God came to John. And then our text goes on. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked places, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John proclaimed the message from God. The message God had sent his prophets to proclaim for centuries. The message that those prophets that God sent proclaimed another prophet who would be coming to proclaim that message just as the time of the Messiah came near. The message? Repent. Last week we saw that when the Lord comes near, he humbles himself. Right, as, John, as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on that humble donkey, the, the king came to substitute and, and suffer the punishment for the failures of his subjects. Jesus came to be our savior. That, that was a pretty big deal. This week we see how God prepares us to receive that savior who was coming. When the Lord comes near, he humbles his people. 
He humbles us. He calls us to repent. When the Lord comes near, he humbles his people. And thank God for that because it wasn't just for those rulers who thought that they were something big because they had their their little area of power. But truth be told, you, you look at them in their influence and how important they were and just zoom out a little bit. And you see that it's really God who's pulling the strings and controlling them and putting them exactly in the areas where he had them and giving them the power that he gave them all so that his perfect plan could be fulfilled. All so that when the time had fully come, God could send his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law so that we could receive the full rights of sons and daughters of the real king. And in order to do that, we needed to be ready. So when the Lord comes near, he humbles his people. Today we hear how. We hear his call to repent. It is now officially December, so I'm guessing that that means that you probably have a list of things to do. There's the parties to prepare for, the gifts to buy, the rooms to decorate, the house to clean, the the guests to get ready for, the travel to arrange, one thing after another after another. You have a whole list of things that need to get done. And some of those things are stressful, but, but just the idea of all of them together, having that list, that is stressful. But this... This repentance that we're talking about today is not something else to add to the list as as a to-do that you have to to get done this time of year. Because this is not something that's up to you to do. When the Lord comes near, he humbles his people. Repentance is not the hard work we do. It's the work God does on our hard hearts. Honestly, I think Repentance is probably one of the things that is most misunderstood about our relationship with God because it is so natural for us to start to view it as a to-do item, as something that, that we have to accomplish. can't tell you the number of, of conversations I've had with people who, well, are struggling in one way or another with, with this concept of repenting and maybe it's maybe it's that they have that fear that well if they if they forget about that sin or they forget to pray one day and, and don't ask for forgiveness for, for that sin well then they won't be forgiven or or maybe it's that they realize that God shouldn't be so gracious and keep forgiving us when we keep sinning or maybe it's the question that if I'm really repenting right why would I why would I continue to be tempted into that same sin. I've even talked to people who have felt that they've probably committed an unforgivable sin, one that all the repenting in the world wouldn't fix. Do you see the common thread running through all of those? All of them are making repentance about something I do, something we accomplish. But repentance, as God's word describes it, is a state of heart. It's a change of heart that God gives that brings forgiveness. Notice how it's phrased in the text. God sent the messenger. God changes the hearts. You see, John was preaching a baptism of repentance 
for or to the forgiveness of sins. Baptism gave that change of heart that made the heart one that was repentant, one that realized its need and looked to Jesus, or in John's case, looked to the the, the promise of the Savior that he was prophesying and so received forgiveness because, well, God keeps his promises. Jesus is our Savior. You see, when God's prophets call his people to repent, the word that God sends them to speak is God's powerful word, and it has power to do what it says. Look at how how Isaiah, John quotes Isaiah in our text, and, and look at how he describes that repentance. He says, Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So God's word, remember that's what came to John in the wilderness, that's what he was proclaiming. And the gift of baptism, that was one of the tools John was using there in the wilderness, right? He he was baptizing, those are tools that prepare hearts. God prepares hearts using those tools. God does these things. Repentance is not a call to, to clean up our lives the way we quickly clean up our homes before the guest gets there because we don't want to be embarrassed. Yes, a changed heart leads to a changed life, but, but God is not one more person we need to be good enough for, one more person to impress along with what our employer and the person we're trying to get a gift for and, and the guests who are coming to our home. No, repentance is simply the candid and honest admission that the only thing our work can do is distance us from God. Because we can't fix our sins. We can't erase what we've done. We can't be the perfection that God demands. And when we try to make it a to-do item for us, when we put that on our list, well, of course we're going to be stressed because that's impossible for us. And actually, it's just more sin. It's arrogance in the face of God pretending like we can do something that only he can accomplish. Instead, this call to repent is a much-needed escape from our endless effort to, to be and to do all that's expected of us. This call to repent is God's gracious invitation to set down our work, to make way for his. And use those pictures. Let, let his promises fill in the, the pothole of, of doubt and despair that ruin the road and get in the way of our relationship with him. We know we couldn't do it. He shows us that he has. Let his clear description of who we are knock down the mountain and hill of of our pride and our our need to to defend ourselves and, and make ourselves look good so that his grace can freely flow and make us better than we ever could be on our own. Let his word guide you in those straight paths instead of the the crookedness of our sin and selfishness. And and I love how this section of Isaiah that John quotes here finishes up. He says, when all that happens, well then, 
all people will see God's salvation. When we let God be God and do his work in our hearts, all people will see God's salvation. We will see it because we know that, that we could never have gotten right with God, but we are because of what he's done. And, and others will see it because as God changes our hearts, that will change our lives and they'll see the love. They'll see the reflection of God in us. And so all people will see God's salvation. When the Lord comes near in his word and sacrament, he humbles us so that we can receive what he's given us. This morning we'll get to witness the, the baptism of Jessica. And, and when we do, God will declare her pure, clean, powerful, not by her own name, but in his Washing away her sins, she'll be clothed in the white garments of salvation, shining the light, not her own light, but the light of the light of the world. Just like we who are baptized do. In the absolution this morning, God's word declared you forgiven. Not because you had repented in just the right way. And he didn't say, oh, your sins aren't that big a deal. He didn't try to justify the things you had done wrong and, and, and said, well, as long as you're not as bad as that guy. Now, when we confess the repentance that God had worked in our hearts, his powerful word, his creative word declared us forgiven, holy, right with God. And when in a few moments we will stand before the altar and receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, it is Jesus' own body and blood that, that we will be receiving because, well, that's what he says and his word is powerful. And when we receive his body and blood, yes, we'll be remembering the, the, the death and, 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 and crucifixion and the suffering that he went through to pay for our sins and the resurrection that guarantees that they're all paid for. And so the, the potholes of doubt will be filled in. And the, the mountains of our pride will be knocked down. Knowing that it's only through what he has done that, that we have this forgiveness. When the Lord comes near, he humbles his people just so that he can lift us up. May God grant it in Christ. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's rise and confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed printed on page 11 in the bulletin. <clears throat> we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead.
and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. We pray. Lord God, we thank you for the repentance, for the